Good morning, good morning. This is Josephine Royal of Let Me Tell You Something, and today I tend to touch a heart on a Saturday morning. Um, it's a rainy day, but uh, it's wonderful today. I have wonderful guests with me, and one of them is Paul Seasworthy and his son, PJ. Um, they, Paul calls himself the whale man. And I've learned a lot as I was uh, looking over information. He, he has a book. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I want to talk about Paul himself. Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was um, raised in Malden. Uh, my son PJ is living in the same house that I grew up in. And so I have a long history with uh, Malden and... Um, I was the uh, curator at the New England Aquarium, and I had a long career at the aquarium here in Boston, and then I moved to New York City where I became curator uh, at the Coney Island Aquarium, the New York Aquarium, and I spent a number of years in that area as well. And so I've been uh, associated with things in the ocean for all of my career since 1969 when the aquarium was first built here in Boston. So uh, that that gave me an experience that when whales... In recent decades, New York City waters were cleaned up through long-term environmental work as evidenced by the popularity of human swimming events in the Hudson River. Just outside the harbor, a fish species called menhaden also got a big boost from cleaner water. And as it turns out, this fish is the primary food source for humpback whales. Starting in 2011, humpbacks, a species that had long disappeared from New York City waters, started making a return to the area. Gotham Whale began under the leadership of Paul Seaswerda to document the resurgence of whales and dolphins that come to New York. Hello, I'm Paul Seaswerda, president of Gotham Whale, and I'm on board the American Princess, and we're whale watching right outside of New York City. That's right, whale watching. The waters around New York are full of whales, all because of Menhaden. Forming a partnership with American Princess Whale Tours, Gotham Whale created an avenue for the public to directly observe and experience these majestic creatures as they feed in the coastal waters off Brooklyn, Staten Island, and New Jersey. Okay, we got two whales right together here on the left side. We got a major bait fall right off there at 11 o'clock. Hopefully they're going to go for him. You may see a double lunch. Here it comes. Whale watch tours are the vehicle for Gotham Whale's data collection about whale sightings. The photographs taken by Gotham volunteers form the basis of whale identification that is documented in Gotham Whale's catalog. With the right photographs, individual whales can be identified by the unique markings on the underside of their tail flukes, which are like fingerprints. Besides logging the sheer number of whale sightings each season, Gotham has developed a catalog of the individual whales that are drawn to New York City waters. The catalog contains 187 unique whales. Through its website, GothamWhale.org, solicits citizen science participation in whale and dolphin sightings from the general public. Whether you are out fishing from a boat or walking the shoreline, if you spot a whale or a pot of dolphins, you can report that info to Gotham, which will add it to its ever-growing database of whale and dolphin movements. The data that Gotham collects becomes its currency when it comes to advocating for marine mammal conservation. First, when the Atlantic State's Marine Fisheries Commission was reviewing caps for industrial menhaden catches, Gotham whale sighting data in the New York City area, when overlaid on where menhaden was being harvested, proved that industrial fishing operations were being conducted in the same locations that whales were feeding in close to shore. The second case involves the busy New York Harbor entrance, which has one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world. There is one route in and out of New York Harbor for large ships of any kind, which intersects with the area where whales feed, increasing the possibility of whales being killed or injured by ship strike. 
Gotham Whale has reached out to stakeholders in the shipping industry to open dialogue about mitigating conflicts between ships and whales. Finally, as the go-to source for whale information in the area, Gotham Whale has been featured in media reports by domestic and international news organizations and maintains social media feeds regarding all things whale in Gotham. back to New York, I was there and I would, I would say the whales are coming to me. So um, I was very familiar with some of the institutions that uh, were built around whale research here in Massachusetts and up in Maine. And so I said, well, let's start something here in New York now that um, whales are coming back. So we began an organization called Gotham Whale and we study whales, dolphins, and seals that are in fact returning to the waters right around New York City. So I've been doing that now since 2009 when I retired, and my retirement gave me uh, the opportunity to become involved in whale research, and I've been doing it ever since, and we're building an organization much like those that are down on Cape Cod and up in uh, Maine. Well, I know you have a book called The Big Whale, Big City. And tell me a little bit about that. Well, Big Whale, Big City kind of uh, embodies exactly what is happening in New York, where whales are coming, and we actually see them with the skyline of Manhattan in the background, and the whales are in the foreground. Now, they don't go into New York Harbor, itself. It's um, it's somewhat a little bit offshore, but the skyline of Manhattan uh, usually is uh, visible from all of the sightings that we have for whales and dolphins. And Boat Captain actually coined a phrase called, uh, which he, he said, uh, Rockaway, which is the area right where we see the whales just outside of the New York Harbor, and Rockaway, the new Cape Cod. And that, in fact, is exactly what is happening. This is a brand new phenomenon that just began in 2011. It started to come back to feed right around New York City. So um, and this book and that title, Big Whale, Big City, kind of embodies the idea and we, we track the story of one individual whale, Jerry who um, we portray as coming back to New York and telling his friends and more and more whales come to um, city because New York, as we all know, is a fabulous place for fine dining. <laughs> Tell me, is Jerry or uh, any particular kind of... Whale created an avenue for the public to directly observe and experience these majestic creatures as they feed in the coastal waters off Brooklyn, Staten Island, and New Jersey. Okay, we got two whales right together here on the left side. We got a major bait ball right off there at 11 o'clock. Hopefully they're going to go for him. You may see a double lunch. Whale Watch Tours are the vehicle for Gotham Whale's data collection about whale sightings. The photographs taken by Gotham volunteers form the basis of whale identification that is documented in Gotham Whale's catalog. With the right photographs, individual whales can be identified by the unique markings on the underside of their tail flukes, which are like fingerprints. Besides logging the sheer number of whale sightings each season, Gotham has developed a catalog of the individual whales that are drawn to New York City waters. The catalog contains 187 unique whales. Through its website, GothamWhale.org, solicits citizen science participation in whale and dolphin sightings from the general public. Whether you are out fishing from a boat or walking the shoreline, if you spot a whale or a pod of dolphins, you can report that info to Gotham, which will add it to its ever-growing database of whale and dolphin movements. 
The data that Gotham collects becomes its currency when it comes to advocating for marine mammal conservation. First, when the Atlantic State's Marine Fisheries Commission was reviewing caps for industrial menhaden catches, Gotham whale sighting data in the New York City area, when overlaid on where menhaden was being harvested, proved that industrial fishing operations were being conducted in the same locations that whales were feeding in close to shore. The second case involves the busy New York Harbor entrance, which has one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world. There is one route in and out of New York Harbor for large ships of any kind, which intersects with the area where whales feed, increasing the possibility of whales being killed or injured by ship strike. Gotham Whale has reached out to stakeholders in the shipping industry to open dialogue about mitigating conflicts between ships and whales. Finally, as the go-to source for whale information in the area, Gotham Whale has been featured in media reports by domestic and international news organizations and maintains social media feeds regarding all things whale in Gotham. kind of whale? Yes, Jerry is a humpback whale, and the humpback whales are <clears throat> the species that we see almost exclusively. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've been seeing some fin whales and some minke whales, which is a smaller baleen whale, but uh, humpback is the uh, species that is uh, most abundant in that area. Tell me, um, with the humpback whale, what do they bring with them? Um, well, one of the things that's uh, kind of interesting in the, in the observations that we've been able to make over these years is that the whales that are coming to New York seem to be juveniles. They're uh, younger whales. And the, um, so they bring kind of a, I, I like to think in what we try to express in the, uh, in the little book is the sense of exploration where they are coming to a new area, which was not part of the traditional migration route. And they come to New York and find very good food. The food happens to be Menhaden, which is, uh, I think up here in Massachusetts, uh, we call them, uh, uh, pogies. And down there they call them bunker. And it's a menhaden, which is a very abundant, oily fish. Everything in the ocean loves to eat them. Everything that can eats them except humans. Humans, they're full of oil, they're full of bones, and so you'll never see one on the menu. Um, what I want to know, I know humpback whales are very special, especially in the sound they make. Absolutely. Uh, Roger Payne first um, recorded the sound of the humpback, or the song of the humpback whale, and that <laughs> remarkably sold more albums than <laughs> I think uh, the Beatles. And that was an amazing um, introduction of the uh, sounds that the whales make, and also the fact that the ocean is uh, a really uh, I'm going to say noisy place. It's full of sounds that were not, until we had the kind of uh, equipment that could record that, we didn't even know that. Jacques Cousteau, who was the inspiration of my career, uh, wrote a book called The Silent World about under, underwater exploration and uh, scuba diving. And it's not silent at all. It's full of sounds. Whales make sounds. Shrimp make sounds. Um, and so, um, bringing that to the, um, attention of humans, uh, through our educational programs and through this book, Big Whale, Big City, we hope to let people know a little bit more about what goes on under the, under the sea. I think it's one of these amazing wildlife spectacles when you actually see these, these bait balls or these large schools of Manhattan. Those are small schooling fish. Sometimes these pods are they're like the size of a football field. When something ripples through the surface across the bait ball, typically there is a predator either nearby or just beneath them, could be a shark, a large fish, hitting, if you will, the outer portions of that school. 
And then to have some of the largest animals that have ever inhabited this planet, you know, feeding on them. I mean, that to me is an amazing marine, you know, wildlife spectacle, just miles from beaches that people enjoy on the weekend and even at other times with the New York City skyline in the background. I'm Dr. Howard Rosenbaum. I direct the Ocean Giants program for the Wildlife Conservation Society. We use scientific tools and approaches to protect large whales and other marine life in the New York Bight. The New York Bight is the body of water that lies between the tip of Montauk and Cape May, New Jersey, all the way into the coast. Areas like Fire Island, New York Harbor, and then down the New Jersey coast to Sandy Hook, New Jersey, and points along the Jersey Shore. In the New York Bight, there's a great deal of marine life that most people aren't aware of. Many species of fish and sharks and turtles. Increasingly, we're seeing what appears to be more abundant menhaden in our waters. And with that, we have increasing habitat use of some of the large whales in some of these waters. The fin whale, they're present during large portions of the year here to a greater extent compared to those other baleen whale species. Most of them are seasonally migrating here. That includes the humpback whale, the North Atlantic right whale, the sai whale, the minke whale. Some may spend more time here than we expected, and that's something that our research is beginning to tease out. So we use a suite of tools to study and learn more about whales in the New York Bight. They range from boat-based surveys where we're out and looking for whales to the most cutting-edge type tools. Right now we have deployed in the New York Bight in collaboration with the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution a near real-time acoustic monitoring buoy. So anytime there is a whale vocalizing one of four species, we get a notification of those animals being present in the New York Bight. For example, in a nine-month period, we had vocalizations on something like 218 of those days. So that provides extremely valuable information because we've located this buoy in an intersection between the, the shipping lanes but also an area that's considered potential for wind energy development. When we go out and do surveys, you know, we collect this full suite of information when we come across particular whale groups. We're logging the positions of where we detect the whales. We'll collect individual identification photographs. For some of the work, we'll actually collect a small tissue sample for genetic analysis. We will use a crossbow with a hollow tip dart that we will shoot into the epidermis of the whale. What gives you the best target is when they arch their backs and you're actually catching them in the middle of a fluking dive and all of a sudden you've just kind of startled them a little bit. And so they, you know, they kind of just bring their flukes down and slap them on the water. In truth be told, this is kind of like getting bit by a mosquito. Most of the time, the sample will be retained into the, the bolt. With that DNA, we can determine the sex of that animal, population identity or individual identity of those animals we've just sampled, so we can get amazing information from that one little bit of tissue. 20 years ago, in the waters of New York City, wow, you're really lucky if you got to see a whale. But what we're seeing now, in essence, from you know, important environmental legislation, whether it was the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species Act, good fisheries management, all of these things at some level, you know, acting in concert with one another, have certainly allowed for us to have this you know, amazing wildlife spectacle, as we said, occur right here in the New York Bight. You know, there are obviously some concerns too. Animals getting hit by ships are of great concern. The noise associated with shipping and other activities is of great concern. As there are more menhaden, are those fisheries regulated and monitored well enough to make sure that those stocks don't get depleted? What happens in a changing climate? We have to try to figure out how to protect these animals in light of some of these activities that are either ongoing and or projected. And I think there's a great opportunity for the residents and denizens of greater, the greater New York City area to take pride in this and to get behind all of this. You know, the most amazing, wonderful experiences that you could ever imagine. It really never gets old.
under the sea. Let me ask you a question. Is it true? I once heard this, and I, I don't know if it's true. Is it the sound of these humpback whales also important to humans? Um, I think humans certainly enjoy the sound. Mm -hmm. uh, the, as I said, that song of the humpback whale was, was something that uh, people responded to. I remember, I remember uh, being at the New England Aquarium when that first came out. Uh, we had a uh, person on the uh, staff who did an interpretive dance to the song of the humpback whale. So the idea of music and sound and um, <clears throat> bringing that to um, the understanding of humans is a, is a major field now that's being developed more and more. Mm, that's wonderful because uh, I've see, see I've heard the uh, sound, yeah, and it's very peaceful. And one of the things that is being conducted by the people at Woods Hole is a recording of sounds to indicate when whales are in the area, so they're able to uh, record the sound, listen to it, and identify the species. Uh, humpbacks have a very distinctive sound. Fin whales have another sound that can identify that species and so on. So that's being uh, done as we speak. Now, let me ask you, are you on a boat? Yes, um, <clears throat> what Gotham Whale does is it partners with whale watching boats. The American Princess Cruises is a, uh, a regular whale watch boat out of Sheepshead Bay in Brooklyn, New York. And we go on board that boat, which provides a platform for our naturalists to go out and record the information that we uh, bring back and compile. It's where the whales are, what species, how many, uh, any kind of uh, behaviors that they're engaged in, and we keep records of that. And we've been doing that since 2011, and we've been able to show the uh, increase in whales that are returning to New York. We now have... Um, three peer-reviewed uh, publications uh, that has used this kind of information just from being on the boats, making pretty simple observations, documented with photographs. And we build that to give a uh, understanding of where the whales are, when, when they can be expected in those areas, etc. It's gonna be very important if, if human um, wildlife conflicts develop where, you know, New York City is a, a very, very busy port. So to have all these whales kind of in that area, I, I say, unfortunately, they're somewhat playing in traffic. And um, so there may be some concerns about whales and their interaction with ships. And knowing where and when to expect whales is going to be very important information. And that's the kind kind of thing that we are compiling and building a picture and maps of where and when whales are in that area. Now, the recording that I saw about the whales, uh, how many have you done? It started off in 2011 when we first went out and um, we had three sightings of whales that season. For the whole summer long, we only had three uh, sightings and we counted five whales. In other words, it can be more than one whale at one sighting you know we might see two from the same spot so that was the beginning of our activities now it's in the hundreds we see hundreds of whales and well, i think it was in 2019 i think the numbers were um uh, 300 plus sightings with 400 uh of a, a count of whales over 400 so the, the increase is over a hundred fold. Mm. Are you able to get up close to these whales? Well, at any we're, we're very careful and we, um, the boat captains are very careful not to impede the whales natural behavior. We don't want to scare them from uh, f uh, feeding or, or chase them or anything like that. So we, uh, uh, we conform to kind of guidelines that have been developed to stay parallel to the whales and just observe them and not try to head them off or anything like that. So there's an organization called Whale Sense and we, we uh, voluntarily uh, conform to the guidelines that 
they have. And um, we're able to, now, if the whale on its own decides to come close to the boat, that's very exciting. And the boat captains will simply shut the engines off and we'll drift and the whales, in fact, do come very close to the boat. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. So they sort of know when to do that. Yeah. That's a wonderful thing. And I, I, I should say it's also so nice that it's a, um, it's a project that takes advantage of this platform that is supported by regular people paying their fare to go on a whale watch. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we, we take that platform and collect the science from that, which would be very, very difficult to do if we had to charter a boat as a uh, agency or a university. When they do their studies, they have to charter a boat. We're out there uh, at the um, benefit uh, through the auspices of the boat being paid for by the <clears throat> by the passengers, and I always say that the, um, the to the passenger, I say thank you very much because every time you pay your fare, it's like giving a mini grant to Gotham Whale to allow us to go out there and collect the information. You know that's true. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, down in Gloucester, they have whale watchers. Yes. And I don't know what they're seeing down there. Um, well, they go out to Stellwagen Bank or maybe down towards Cape Cod, and um, they probably see mostly humpbacks, but also the North Atlantic right whale is quite um, abundant up here in um, the waters off of, of Boston and Cape Cod. So um, they they probably see the um, highly critically endangered uh, North Atlantic right whale. Mm, I see. Now tell me, um, are you going to continue this and do more videos and maybe another book? I certainly hope so. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I, I'm going to, say that this book has inspired us to um, maybe um, present the same kind of um, children's book that tells a story so it doesn't get lost of um, a seal that we raised in our home. Uh, we're working on that. And, and, I was, and I was telling you earlier that the, um, <clears throat> the seal, we used to come and have it on a program called Archer's Ark, which was not in the, right in the studio, which was the beginning of uh, Malden uh, TV. So um, it's, it's a long history, and that was back in uh, 1979. You gotta tell me about this. Tell me about the sale that you brought up in your home. Well, I give my wife, Candy, the uh, entire credit because uh, what happened was a, uh, particular storm had washed up a whole number of seals <clears throat> and so the aquarium where we collected the seals to try to save them and uh, we were overwhelmed the staff was simply overwhelmed I think there was 12 baby seals that all washed up and we were trying to care for them and so it was very difficult to give them the number of feedings that they needed. They needed a feeding early, early in the morning and then late at night and all throughout the day. So it was really tough to go in early, go home late and all that kind of thing. So somebody had the idea, why don't we just bring them home? And I brought this seal home to uh, <clears throat> Malden, uh, Glenrock Ave in Oak Grove and it happened to be PJ's birthday. And so you can imagine what a birthday party in the neighborhood was like with a, with a, <laughs> with a live seal. It was better than a, a, a clown or a pony. <laughs> or, ten or ten years old, uh, um, ten I'm years having old. Uh, a backyard birthday party, uh, you know, that my mom had uh, arranged. And um, it was a surprise that dad brought home a, uh, a seal pup. And um, all my friends were there and, you know, just completely astonished by um, this mammal coming back to the uh, the backyard. And we set up a little um, baby pool. 
threw them in there and we had all sorts of uh, laughs and fun. And, you know, p- people would drive by and um, the yard was open and we'd get onlookers looking and they're wondering what happened to the dog with no legs. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. Uh, yeah. What's the name? What was the name of the sale? Well, this, uh, I, PJ actually came up with a poem uh, that uh, gave us a name. I don't. He was ten years old, so I don't know how he came up with this, but he did. But I don't know if you remember Cecil the Seal, who lived in the sea, who came to live with the seas worders, just like me. So, <laughs> That's sweet. so. So the name of the seal was Cecil. Cecil, and, and we uh, and again, my wife did uh, exceptional work to care for this seal for, well, up until it was weaned, which was about a month and a half. Uh, And so for a month and a half, she kept it in the house, in the bathtub, and then would take it out and put it in the backyard in a kiddie pool. The the people driving by would notice it and say, whoa. And uh, we actually, I remember one time they had a play date out in Marblehead where all the people that were caring for those seals brought them out, and this woman had a um, a pool that kind of filled up at high tide and then drained out at low tide, and they all swam around that and had a great time as a, a play date uh, before play dates were uh, in vogue. Mm-hmm. And, and the amount of work, I want to stress, was amazing because it took five regular baby bottles to mix up a formula made up of um, cottage cheese and heavy cream and vitamins. And so my wife had to put all that together and then feed the seal five times a day um, in order to replace the nutrition that the mother would normally give them. Mm, Did they ever find the moms or? No, no. And uh, Cecil was, we tried to release her, but she didn't really take to going out back into the wild. So she was kept at the um, at the aquarium for many years and had a long life there. In fact, um, um, reproduced and, and had a number of offspring, one of which was um, with Hoover, the uh, a seal that actually spoke in human words, that all these things nobody remembers and nobody, so, what we're trying to do is kind of record these things down. Um, all you have to do is Google Hoover, the talking seal, and you'll hear him. He said, hey, 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 get out of here. <laughs> and, and of course, he, um, Cecil had offspring from Hoover, and my wife uh, quipped. Uh, he talked her into it. Uh, this is what an interesting story. What a story. This is awesome. These are stories that you don't hear and, you know, you don't hear, it, but you love to hear. It's a shame because that will never happen again because nowadays uh, federal regulations um, would not allow a seal to be in a private home at all. So mm-hmm. those things were done before uh, the kind of specialization of uh, rescue programs and people that uh, have facilities for that are in place. But And what an interesting home you had, PJ. Well, that's um, what's fascinating to me is, um, you know, I've been along the sidelines of my dad's career for a long time. Uh, you know, obviously since 10 years old, having a SEAL show up at my, my birthday party. Um, and a lot of people have asked me, um, you know, how come you didn't go into that field of, of, uh, you know, oceanography or fishes and, and whatnot. And, um, I can kind of vividly remember that, that time of, uh, you know, just self discovery on what I wanted to do with my life and all that. And, um, I can remember my uncle was like a builder. He was in construction and, um, I, uh, I took to that. I like to build things. I like to, you know, construct things and cut wood and all. And uh, I love the smell of cut wood. You know, the, like you were saying with the um, with the sounds of the humpback and all that. The uh, the sensories are, are really really strong. And um, the uh, the smell of cut wood always appealed to me. And um, my mom would always have us uh, run to the door when my dad got home from work. And um, my dad would come home from the aquarium, and he 
smelt like fish. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't think I want to smell like fish. So I decided not to, you know, go down that path, but I could also, uh, you know, reap the benefits of um, hanging around the aquarium and, and following in his footsteps that way. And being very fortunate to have the aquarium as, you know, like my playground, I'd bring people in to uh, watch me go in the, the giant ocean tank, you know, at age 15 or so. So I was uh, a young scuba diver and um, I was very fortunate to uh, be able to tap into those uh, amenities and, and special programs and go on collecting trips with my father to collect fish for the aquarium in the Bahamas and um, those type of things. I reaped the benefits of following on his coattails without having to buy a tux. So let me ask you a question. You went scuba diving in, in the tank? Yes, and um, we just had a party for my dad, uh, his 80th birthday uh, over at Pearl Street, and um, a lot of his uh, colleagues from the aquarium uh, who are still dear friends and a lot of scuba divers that I've uh, dove with. And um, I'm one of the private citizens that have been fortunate enough to dive in the giant ocean tank with all the remodels. So they've remodeled the uh, giant ocean tank, I believe it's uh, four, four times now. And um, first it was just a rock and then they drained it and made some coral reefs and then they drained it again and made, you know, newer coral reefs. And um, there's not many people that can say they did that. Uh, you know, a lot of people that are affiliated with the aquarium, um, are fortunate enough to have their longevity of um, being around the aquarium that long. But me as an outsider, to be able to do that and dive with um, Myrtle the turtle, you know, a lot of people uh, are familiar with Myrtle, who's been there quite some time, and um, very fortunate, very fortunate. What a gift, huh? Yeah. That's a gift. Blessing, yeah. It's a gift. It's a, you know, see, my motto is this, uh, your dad, mm -hmm. Uh, gave you a gift, yep. and you, you, although you took a different uh, road, uh, you still followed that gift in a different kind of way, mm -hmm. but which is very beautiful. And your father is like a storyteller and still doing his thing. It's been amazing, and I was very fortunate to be able to share some of that with uh, PJ. We've gone to Africa together. We've gone diving in the oh my Caribbean together, and then he has gone on some uh, trips that I have. I envy. He went to Micronesia as a scuba diver and uh, the Red Sea, and. Um, so his his scuba diving experience it probably eclipses mine because I was working, um, you know, kind of strictly business, and he was able to uh, enjoy some really f phenomenal trips. He went with his brother on a, a great white shark uh, expedition where he was face Just to face. The creation of the stories on how they unfold. Um, some of the trips that I've been on. I've been different places. I remember I was in Ireland one time, and I was in a deli of all places, and uh, somebody picked up on my Boston accent, and they said, you know, in his Irish brogue, he says, oh, you're from Boston, are you? I went to Boston one time, and they had that talking seal, and, I, you know, he was talking about Hoover the seal, and to have that story in my back pocket about, you know, Cecil mating with Hoover, it was just amazing to be in you know in Ireland talking to some guy in the deli about you know my experiences and how it touched him and then how it was uh, again I something hope, I hope he bought you a pint yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know hey listen you know you're sent everywhere for a reason mm -hmm. and you meet these people for a reason and you give your your, your testimony for a reason mm -hmm. And I believe that, that that's my belief. And there's no mistake that you're here today. Right. What else can you tell us? Well, um, let's see. Um, I think um, in terms of the book, I think, as I s said, that little children's book um, really represents a um, kind of an overview. Uh, and it's a means to tell the story of what's going on in New York with these whales returning and also um, 
the involvement of Gotham Whale. Gotham Whale is an all-volunteer organization that gets people to help um, do the research. And um, it, we just kind of captured this um, storyline that tells all about Gotham Whale, talks about our research, and gives us some of the natural history about whales in, in a very simple uh, children's book. Now, I, I came up with the concept uh, some time ago that it would be good to do it as a children's book. And um, unfortunately, my wife was sick for some time, and I spent a lot of time in waiting rooms, and, and so I just doodled. You should see this uh, stick figure outline of the original um, outline for this book because I just did like a cartoon series of, um, of sketches with stick figures and it's pretty primitive and i just took that and was able to sell the concept to best publishing who i met at a um, scuba diving exposition and you know when you're at an exposition we were presenting Gotham Whale, but I also went around and kind of met all the other people in the booths and one of which was uh, best publishing so we got that and then I ran into uh, Joy Reidenberg who is our illustrator for the book and she happens to be a whale expert in her own right she's a um, she teaches uh, human anatomy to doctors at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York and so she's very familiar with anatomy but she's also interested in animal anatomy and comparative anatomy and so she has been featured in a number of uh, television uh, series um, one of which was called Inside Nature's Giants and what she does is she actually dissects large animals like big pythons and large snakes and shows how their how their anatomy functions functions to go which is very different from the way humans but i mean there's lots of comparative uh similarities but it's quite different how like a giraffe gets blood all the way up 18 feet or so up into the air up into its head uh through pumping mechanisms that um, would be very um, um different than what humans have so anyway she's she would um was able to do, I think, some very nice illustrations for this uh, book, uh, Big Whale, Big City. Mm. And, and so we used the story of Jerry to tell that in a simplified manner. And she took all my um, stick figures and cleaned them up and made, made some really nice illustrations. Um, but I should tell you about Jerry, because Jerry is a uh, we don't usually name our whales. We we have numbers for individual whales, um, and we keep we we are now up to 246 individual whales that we've identified in the New York City area, and we keep a catalog on that. But this whale is called Jerry, mainly because our photographer. We have an exceptional photographer, Artie Raslich, who who has just really he captured one particular uh, image where a whale is what they call spy hopping where a whale comes straight up out of the water and kind of looks around and he captured that whale with the Empire State Building in the background and that in the early stages of um, <clears throat> uh, developing Gotham Whale as an organization that really captured the public's in uh, attention they would go wow right empire state building new york wales who who would have thought that and nobody had at the time so we named him jerry because Artie happens to be a um, fan of the grateful dead Great, great, grateful Dead is Jerry Garcia, and and when he took that picture, I'm not I'm making, making this up. When he took that picture, it was Jerry Garcia's birthday. Artie was out on his own boat called the Ship of Fools, which I guess is one of the Grateful Dead songs. And on Jerry Garcia's birthday, he 
captured this iconic shot, and so we just said that whale has to be named Jerry. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> That's truly perfect. I, I, I have to say the truth. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's truly perfect. I mean, Wow. I have to say, wow, that's truly perfect. Yeah, it all, as you said, things all kind of came together. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I got to tell you, that was orchestrated. <laughs> well. <laughs> definitely. That's definitely orchestrated. Uh, tell me, uh, uh, I know you had a gathering. Um, your birthday? Yes. Yep. Tell me about your birthday party. Oh, I had a great birthday party. PJ organized it all, invited people from all of uh, my background areas, various uh, friends from uh, years ago. I have a number of friends that I have uh, connected with over time uh, from high school, from Malden High. So I have uh, friends from there, and they were there. I have uh, friends uh, from the New England Aquarium that came by. It was great to see them. And then we had the relatives from various areas um, from Malden um, and also East Boston where my wife uh, grew up and all her cousins uh, were represented and I just, uh, it was really f fabulous to uh, see everyone. I gotta ask you one question. Sure. Usually when you have an event for yourself, you never get to eat anything. Did you eat something? Well, I had a little, the food was very good, I may must say, and uh, um, I don't eat much uh, anyway, but I was, as, like you said, um, I was a social butterfly uh, going to table to table, and I um, I didn't get much chance to eat. Yeah, I figured. I figured. It's like when you go to your own stuff, you never get to eat. You never get to eat. I didn't but, miss it, but uh, yeah. I know that it was good because it, um, it was fine. Well, I can I, I, see father and son love each other very much. Thank you. And I, I can see that you both have had adventures that most people haven't. Right. But that is a wonderful thing to see. I love seeing a family doing things and doing them together and doing them separately. And it's been my pleasure to have this podcast um, and I know that you're going to do a show with Ron, I, I, I understand? I believe so. Yep. I don't know when that's taking place. I believe it's sometime uh, next week. It's next a, week? I think it's like the 23rd or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so anything else you would like to talk about? Well, it's, it's so nice to come back to Malden. I've been able to um, go back and forth between Malden and New York. I have numbers of friends down in that area as well, but to be able to come back here uh, and see the grandkids and uh, uh, see what Malden is, how it's growing and what it's become, it's fabulous. Uh, again, I, I should uh, thank... Uh, uh, Paul Solano for helping us with that party, as you mentioned. Um, that was at the um, Pearl Street Station. Pearl Street Station, which I remember as a Pearl Street Station, <laughs> <laughs> actual railroad station. And uh, so it's great to come back. And uh, PJ uh, <clears throat> lives in uh, Oak Grove, and I visit, and we go for walks sometimes up into the woods. Middlesex uh, Fells, yeah. Yeah, and um, the memories are, are fantastic for me to be able to share them with the now third generation. Third generation. How many grandchildren you have, if you don't mind me asking? Three. Three, Three grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. The grandchildren are a blast, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> How old are they, Do you, if you don't mind? Uh, ten, nine, and four going on five, yeah. Wow. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, they keep you going. They keep you going. They and they've they've been um, fortunate to come out on the whale watch with us as well. And uh, we're, we're gearing up to get down there this summer and, um, you know, partake in that. And uh, some of them, you know, I remember Emery going out. He was a little young and uh, my wife was a little seasick. So they didn't, didn't enjoy it as much as uh, myself and Cannon. But, um, you know, want to get them out on the on the high waters and spotting whales. Yeah, yeah, they will. 
that's an enjoyable thing. I, I, I love going out on the sea. I love uh, being near the water. If I had my way, I would be living near the water. Uh, but uh, I live in Malden. Uh, so what's your next move from here to go back to New York? Um, well, as I say, I go back periodically for short visits on either end of my uh, <clears throat> trips. And um, I will probably go down um, uh, shortly for a sh for short trip, then come back up here. And um, I'll be down there somewhat for the whale um, season, which begins around uh, the end of May. So I'll go down there and check in with the boat. Again, This we have a, a very good relationship with the American Princess. We're expanding the same concept out to a number of other boats because not only are the whales increasing, but whale watching, which no one thinks of New York City as a center for whale watching, but the number of boats that take people out to see the whales um, are growing as well as the whales. So we're getting now reports from five different vessels um, that increases, as I say, the data collection. And we're able to put that into mapping programs and uh, statistical analysis so we can really understand what the whales are doing and when they're likely to be in the area. That's awesome. One of the um, things that I've noticed on being on the sidelines of uh, my dad's nonprofit and seeing, you know, the, how people get interested in it and don't know about it. You know, a lot of people in New York have no clue. It's similar to a lot of people around Boston who have never been on the Freedom Trail. You know, it's it's right there in their backyard, but they never tap into it. And um, matter of fact, just yesterday, um, a TV show from... Um, from New York, uh, I think the Murray Povich show, uh, was inquiring about my dad, um, you know, in his nonprofit. And uh, as I was mentioning to the, the gentleman, um, he didn't know that there were whales in the New York waters. And he's from, where was he from, Pop? From, from the Bronx. From the Bronx. So um, what I was mentioning to him is my dad's got a lot of press from, you know, globally. You know, he's had interviews from uh, people from Israel, uh, French TV, you know, people from all over the world have noticed, you know, the whales coming to New York, but people from New York have having a clue. <laughs> Mary Povich, of all, I, that is like, wow. I haven't heard that name in quite a while. I guess he's been on the air for 20 years is yep. what the gentleman was telling me. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, I guess he has a good career. And um, I'm, I'm not sure the name of the show. I think it's Bal Balancing Act. Yes. And, um, you know, so we're inquiring about it. It's it's something that we're thinking about doing. Uh, but, but, you know. But the uh, New York is truly the media capital. Mm -hmm. And when uh, one one outlet kind of picks up something another outlet <laughs> does so and so i always say and i will say to you um an open invitation to come out uh, on the american princess and uh, see for yourself uh, what gotham whale does and uh, how we collect the information and get to see some uh, whales which sometimes are super spectacular when they breach they they mm. come completely out of the water and they fall back with a giant splash in it. I'm Paul Seeswerter. I'm a recent retiree from the New York Aquarium. And prior to that, I was curator at the New England Aquarium in Boston, where I worked with seals. I enjoyed working with seals because they're very interesting animals. Well, absolutely, they're cute, particularly harbor seals. Sometimes I was actually able to bring my work home with me. Now we're going down memory lane here. This was in 1978. One of my jobs was to pick up injured or debilitated seals. We had a number of seals that had washed up on the beach as infants, and we were kind of overwhelmed at the aquarium and caring for them. They were very demanding because just like human infants, you have to make sure that they get regular feedings into the night. 
So we would bring them home with us. They're a little ball of blubber. It was manageable to pick them up, put them into a Rubbermaid barrel, sit them on the seat next to me, drive home. The night that I happened to bring it home was my son's 10th birthday. And all the neighborhood kids came in and were able to stick their heads into the back hall and see this baby seal. This was way better than renting a clown for the birthday. Cecil, I think my wife made that name up. Uh, yes, my name is Candy Seaswater. Somehow or other, this little poem came up. Uh, Cecil the seal who came from the sea, who lives with the seaswaters just like me. Oh, well, my impression was that that would be for the day. And then he informed me it's going to be staying here with us for a while. And I was like, oh, okay. But I was kind of taken aback. I was like, how do you take care of a seal? Soon enough, he trained me. There was a, a certain mixture of powder and a certain formula. Cottage cheese and heavy cream. She was able to be in the bathtub at night. She would wake up during the night and bark as a seal, as they do. And I would know it was time for her feedings. In the mornings, I would take her out of the tub she would flop around after me from room to room as I was doing my chores and follow me just like a dog would. I would have her over my shoulder and burping after feedings or during feedings. Lots of times in the bathtub, she would get hiccups, flop up and down in the bathtub and go <laughs> and just flop, flop. I oh, it was precious. Cecil went through a little mishap with her eye and us as parents. We were just as we would be with our children, really, really upset. As the vet was examining Cecil, which was nothing new for me because I was part of the crew that would help hold the seals down. I lost my professionalism. <laughs> I was like, well, be careful. And so they, they cleared me out of the room and said, I could stay. <laughs> they let the mother stay. <laughs> you I stay you leave, you're in the way here. Yeah. Cecil was one of the family. Certainly was part of the family. It was it was very, very sad when we knew that she had to go back to the aquarium. Oh, it was heartbreaking. I'm, I'm uh, thinking about it now and filling up. And uh, it was like giving it up to adoptive parents because... Uh, I felt that we were her parents and, and our sons were her brothers. But knowing that she was going to be there and I could visit her at any time, because I would go in and meet Paul for lunch as our sons were in school, and I would call her and she would come right out and look at me, and she knew me. There are some famous seals that also were raised up by humans. Hoover, when he came into adulthood, he started to speak human language. He would actually say with a New England accent, Hey, Hoover, get out of here. Those words, fortunately, were recorded. Just like that. When she did have her first child, I really didn't know about it. I was like, well, I didn't even know she was dating. <laughs> and then when I found out that she was pregnant with one of Hoover's babies, and I said, okay, he talked her into it. <laughs> I was very proud, so was Paul. <laughs> I think she had about a 35 or so year life, which is uh, pretty typical for a long-lived seal. And um, I forget how many offspring she had. Three or four, they grew up at the aquarium. Yeah, that our grandchildren are there. <laughs> she, she was and will always be our, our baby. Now, you're not going to believe this, Snappers, but one of Hoover and Cecil's grandchildren, Chuck, is learning how to talk as well. She can even say, how are you? And you're saying to yourself, Glenn, 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 Glenn. There's no such thing as a talking seal. <laughs> That's what I thought, but I'm not kidding. Seals can talk. Look it up on the Googler. That story was produced by our own Stephanie Fu. 
You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org. I'm afraid our time has come to an end, but I want to uh, give a shout out for this book, The Big Whale, Big City, illustrated by Joy S. Rosenberg, Ph.D., written by Paul L. Seaswerda. That's it. Thank you. Uh, Pick up a copy and look at it. And if you have the opportunity to go to New York come May and therefore get the opportunity to go. And uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And um, I also want to just let you know, this is Let Me Tell You Something and What Comes From The Heart Does Touch The Heart. Uh, This is definitely a show that does touch the heart. And I want to thank you, Paul. I want to thank you, PJ. PJ, you have an interesting life, and you'll have to come back. Absolutely, Josephine. It's been my pleasure. And again, I want to thank um, everybody down here at UMA and, um, you know, Talonzo and Ronnie. And uh, everybody's been great down here uh, every time I've come down. And um, looking forward to coming back. My pleasure. Anytime. Anytime. Again, what comes from the heart touches the heart. Please, um, Be sweet with your neighbor. Check on them. See what's going on. Um, In this world, it's short. So check on your neighbor. See if they need something today. Bye-bye now and have a pleasant day.